Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very glad to be here. And I think I recognize most of you, but some of you uh, I don't, and you'll get to know me, I guess, a little bit here. Um, I showed up earlier today so I'd have a chance to kind of chat with some people when I got here, and we had an awesome chat before. They were telling me all about the church. And one of the things we got talking about, I said, I don't know if you know this, but Bill and I went to seminary together. So I knew Bill. I've known Bill from way back, and uh, Bill and I were both at Asbury. We took classes together, although both of us are too old to remember which classes we took together. But, uh, and I said, yeah, you know, and they said, have you ever seen Bill preach? And I said, well, yeah, I got the opportunity to see him in seminary preach and other things. And, and, and people were telling me, they said, man, Bill, he's just, he's such a good preacher. And, you know, just his delivery is so great. And it's almost like he's got the whole thing memorized, you know, and, and he never, there's never any vocal tics. You don't hear the like ums or the whatever. It's just so polished. And then on top of that, like they were telling me, like, he's always got a prop. And his sermon revolves around this prop he's brought in, and it's this excellent illustration, and we go home and we think about it for weeks. And I said, yeah, that sounds awesome. Mine's not going to be anything like that. <laughs> you know, so I'm just going to go ahead. You know, excellence, excellence gets boring, I think, after a while. So I'm just going to lower expectations a little bit, you know. Uh, I'll just do my thing here, and, and hopefully you guys don't run out of the building here before I'm done. But anyway, uh, my understanding is that you're coming out of a sermon series on membership, and then you're going into a new one, I guess, next week. I can't remember what that is, but Bill told me, uh, he said, your sermon truly is a one-off sermon. You can, you can talk about whatever you want to talk about. So I said, that's awesome. So I want to talk about movies today. We're just going to talk about movies. Now, do all of you like movies? Okay. Yeah, I figured, you know, you're not a bunch of weirdos. You guys like movies. It's like the biggest form of entertainment in our culture, movies, okay? I watch a lot of movies. So movies are interesting to me because, you know, if you think about it, movies are sort of a window into the zeitgeist. You know that word zeitgeist of our culture? Zeitgeist is kind of like a sign of the time. So a movie a lot of times will show us sort of like the intellectual, the moral, and the, the cultural climate of our times. You sort of get a window into the culture if you watch a movie. The movies from the 70s are very different from the movies from the 90s, so on and so forth. Now, every so often, a movie comes along that captures the attention of the entire society. And this movie will stand out so much that everybody goes and sees it, everybody talks about it, everybody sits around the water cooler discussing this movie. And the movies that end up doing that, I think, are the ones that end up touching on some kind of deep truth. And you'll go see the movie, and what you find is that even after you've seen it and you go home, you, you wrestle with the implications of it. And it, it, it stirs something inside of you. Something resonates with you. You either are exhilarated by the movie or maybe you're very angry because of what the movie said, but something in it stood outside of the norm, and it got a reaction from you. Well, a lot of times when uh, these types of movies come out, the Christian church, what we'll do is we'll just sort of co-opt that movie for our own purposes. Um, I don't know if you've seen a lot of the Christian movies that are made, but these movies are done outside the Hollywood system. A lot of times they don't have broad appeal to the rest of the country, and maybe their artistic merits aren't there. So what the church will do is say, okay, what we'll do is we'll just take a really popular movie that's out there, and then what we will let people know is that that movie is actually a Christian allegory. It's actually sending a Christian message, just maybe the directors didn't know that. 
But there it is. And so we'll use it. So I'll give you kind of an example of this. Now, um, all of you know who Mel Gibson is. And uh, we don't need to go into Mel Gibson and all his stuff, okay? Lots of probably mixed opinions about Mel Gibson. But anyway, Mel Gibson made a movie. And this movie was called Braveheart. I'm sure many of you have seen it. And I'll tell you what, back a while back in church, um, the church would have you believe that Braveheart was just a straight translation of one of the books of the Bible, basically. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. You couldn't go to a Christian service in a contemporary church without a clip from Braveheart being shown as a sermon illustration. In the late 90s, early 2000s, it was Braveheart, Braveheart. None, none of you guys know what I'm talking about? You've never seen a Braveheart. Okay, at least, okay, okay. This is going well so far. Um, so anyway, uh, so Braveheart was shown all the time. Now, the church sort of made Braveheart its own because it thought there were all these themes in there that resonated with the scriptures and stuff. I don't remember too many other groups really taking Braveheart and saying this really speaks to our philosophy or that kind of thing. But there was a movie that came out a couple years later that had a huge cultural uh, impact that everybody claimed. And I don't care what kind of people group you came from, what kind of little niche in society you live in, you know, whatever you identify as, like everybody claimed this movie as their own in a lot of ways. And um, it, it was huge. And this particular movie, I think everybody, everybody liked it because there was a very deep truth that was presented in this movie. But what was interesting is the truth that was presented was interpreted differently by everyone. Um, and I'll tell you, the church had a very particular take on what they think the movie means. The directors themselves had a much different take, in fact, quite opposite from what the church says. And then there was kind of all these opinions across the spectrum. Um, but it's truly a, a transcendent movie. So you're probably wondering, what, what movie am I referring to here? Well, let me see if you can pick up on it. For the last 20 years or so, if somebody told you or asked you to choose the red pill or the blue pill, what movie would they be talking about? The Matrix. Okay. Most of you know that. Um, for those of you who don't know The Matrix, that was a movie that came out in like 1999. So I'm thinking, my gosh, that was a long time ago, 20 years ago. Has it been that long? But The Matrix came out, was this huge deal. And I have to give the church credit. When this movie came out, the, the, you know, the church is usually late to the party when it comes to culture. But when this movie came out, the church really seized upon it and they said there's a lot of themes in this movie that are, are of great importance to our society that we should talk about. And I'll tell you, while the rest of the world was kind of still marveling over the special effects and that it was a cool sci-fi movie, the church really was honed in on this and was, was talking about it. Now, if you've never seen The Matrix, I probably should explain to you a little bit about what this movie is about. And this is going to be a little bit hard to explain, but just bear with me. So... Um, and this will, I promise you, actually, you're wondering, this will have something to do with Jesus and the church at some point. I don't know how long we are into this sermon, but uh, this isn't a pop culture 101 class at the community college. I promise you we'll talk about Jesus and the Bible. So in this movie, The Matrix, we are introduced to a character whose name is Thomas Anderson. He's played by Keanu Reeves. Now, Mr. Anderson in this movie, what you get the sense of is Mr. Anderson is a guy who just feels like something is off about his life. Like he can't put his finger on it, but just something isn't, something isn't right. And he feels like an outsider or sort of an alien in his own skin. 
And he sort of feels trapped in this mundane existence that he finds himself in day in and day out. So as an escape, what he starts to do is he spends a lot of time online as a hacker. And in the hacker world, he is known as Neo. That's kind of the name he goes by. Well, all these hackers online are aware of this mysterious person named Morpheus, who is also a hacker, apparently, who is out there that everybody's aware of but nobody's ever seen. Well, one day, this Morpheus reaches out to Neo and invites him to have a a personal conversation with him. So the two of them get together, and Morpheus tells Neo, he says, you know, there's a reason that you feel the way that you do about your life. He says, you feel the way that you do about your life because actually you are a slave. He said, you're living in bondage each day. That's why you feel so unsettled. And he said, you are a slave and everybody around you is a slave. And so Morpheus says, I'm going to give you a choice that not everybody has. He says, I, in my hand, in one hand, I'm holding a blue pill. And in the other hand, I'm holding a red pill. And he says, if you choose to swallow the blue pill, he said, you can just go back to your life. You can believe in whatever, whatever it is that you want to believe in. You can just go on doing your own thing. And he goes, you'll, you'll very quickly forget that we even talked. But he says, if you choose to swallow the red pill, he says, well, then your eyes are going to be open to the truth. You're finally going to see the truth for the first time. And once you see the truth, you're never going to go back. You're never going to be able to go back to living the lie. So Neo, of course, what pill do you think he chooses to take? He takes the red pill, right? Because if he took the blue pill, that's not much of a movie. That's 20 minutes screen time. Nobody's going to pay to see that. So he takes the red pill, and his eyes are opened. And, you know, and this is where it gets a little weird sci-fi, is he realizes that everybody on the planet is being used as a battery for the machines. The machines have taken over the world. They're using human beings as batteries to power the machines. And human beings don't know this because their minds are always occupied by this virtual reality that they live in called the matrix. So that's the big lie. So you can see where the church would pick up on this because the church took this movie and they say, you know what? Obviously what this movie's talking about is that accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your savior, that's akin to taking the red pill. When you accept Jesus for the first time, that's the act that opens your eyes to reality. It allows you to see things for how they really are. Now, if I was a skeptic or like an investigative journalist or something like that, I would, I would listen to that and I'd say, okay, that's very interesting. But um, I got to ask the question, like, does the Bible really speak to people living in a false reality? Like, where do you get that from? And I would say, well, the Bible most definitely speaks to this frequently. I've been aware of this uh, a lot lately because over on the first Fulcher side of things right now, we are uh, preaching on the book of Daniel from the Old Testament. Then when I do my Bible study upstairs over there, I've been teaching on 1 Peter, which is in the New Testament. Both of those books speak very clearly to the followers of God being, quote, strangers in a strange land. So in other words, if your allegiance is to God what you will find is that you are living as an alien in a foreign land. The values of the society that you are born into, that you are forced to live in, don't match up with the values of God. 
There are actually things that have no place in the kingdom of God that are celebrated and lifted up in the secular world that you have to live in as a Christian. So what I want to do now is I want to make a contrast between two of the characters, one character in the matrix, one character from the Bible. We're going to contrast these two characters, and we're going to look at both of their approach to the topic of truth. Like, is truth ultimately important? You know, does truth even matter? That's what we're going to look at. So let's go to the matrix first. Now, in that movie, that character Neo that I described for you, he's not really the interesting one to me. There was this other side character that's a lot more interesting for our discussion today. This guy whose name is Cypher. And those of you who've seen the movie, you know who I'm talking about. Now, just like Neo, this guy Cypher was born into a lie. He was born in the Matrix. So he was living in a fantasy world. He was living in this false reality. Um, you know, all these things that were not true were being fed to him on a daily basis. And at some point, he was presented with the same choice that Neo was given. Do you want to take the blue pill or the red pill? So he chose to take the red pill. He had his eyes open finally for the first time to the truth. And after that, he realized that, you know what? Um, I'm going to fight for truth. So he starts, he takes up the fight against the evil machine oppressors, you know, with just like all the rest of his red pill compatriots. But the thing is, over time... Cypher says, you know what? This fight against tyranny, is, it's hard. He says, you know, it, it, when, you, when you fight for truth and you fight against tyranny, he said, you know, I, you have to make a lot of sacrifices in your life. So he says, you know, even though I know it was a lie, he said, back when I was in the matrix, back when I was in that false reality, he said, you know, I got to eat really nice food. I got to wear really nice clothes. I had a great job. I had a lot of friends. You know, I lived a very comfortable life. But he says, now that I know the truth and I live according to the truth and I'm in the real world, he says, now it's not like that at all. If you remember the movie, he's like, I got to eat this brown mush every day just for sustenance. I don't have good food that tastes great. I got to eat this stuff every day. I got to wear these clothes that are like handmade and tattered. I got to sleep on this hard cot every day that's just like a slab of metal with a little blanket on it. Like there's no glamour to this life. And so I guess the only thing that keeps him going is the knowledge that he's fighting for truth, that he's keeping himself, you know, from being oppressed, from being in bondage, and he's helping other people to be freed from this bondage. Well, Cypher eventually has a little bit of a crisis of conscience here, and he makes a very interesting choice. He meets with the machine overlords, right, for those of you who've seen the movie, and he decides, you know, he says, he tells the machines, he said, I will betray all my friends. All my red-pilled friends, I will betray all them. I'll hand them over to you. You can take them. I will do this if you will just return me back to the matrix so I can go live there. And this is what's really interesting. He says, you know what? I know that the matrix, matrix isn't real. I know it's a lie. He said, I know it's just a big illusion designed to trick my brain. But he says, you know what? I don't care anymore. So he makes a deal with the machines on the condition that when he is returned to the matrix, that he be returned as somebody important. He says, I want to be somebody rich and important, somebody like an actor or something that people look up to. But he also realizes something else. He realizes that he has now been exposed to the truth. His eyes have been opened. 
And he knows that if he is returned to the matrix, he will always be aware of the truth and he'll never be able, it'll always eat at him. It'll always bother him. It won't allow him to enjoy his life as much as he would like. So his final demand to the machines is he says, when you return me to the matrix, he says, I want you to erase my memory. I want to have no awareness of the truth whatsoever. Because he says, at the end of the day, when it comes to truth, you know what? Ignorance is bliss. So that's what Cypher says. Now, on the other hand, let's take a person like Daniel from the Old Testament. Uh, You can read about Daniel in the book of Daniel from the Old Testament. Probably many of you have. Daniel's journey with the truth is a little bit different than Cypher's, but both of them have to wrestle kind of fundamentally with the same thing. Now, Daniel was somebody who was born knowing the truth. Daniel was born a, quote, son of Israel who lived in the Holy Land. He was born knowing God from day one. He knows the truth. But then Daniel is removed from his home, and he is forced to go live in Babylon. Now, for Daniel, being forced to go live in Babylon, that would be like being forced to go live in the matrix, except your memory hasn't been wiped clean. He knows the truth, but then he has to go live in this place where people don't recognize the truth. And so he had to live in a place where everything felt off, you know, quote, off all the time. Because the people in this society, they don't follow God's ways. They don't acknowledge the truth. And so he truly is an alien in a strange land. Now, over time, Daniel is selected by King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar is the the ruler of the Babylonian Empire. He chooses Daniel to be part of this privileged class of, like, elite um, advisors. So, no doubt, Daniel lived a very privileged, um, a much more comfortable life, probably, than his other fellow Israelites. Because he had been granted this status in this pagan society. The thing is, Daniel knew if he ever messed up, now he had a lot to lose because he had been given a lot of material wealth and these kind of things in this kind of life. So Daniel was faced with a daily struggle, daily struggle to reconcile his citizenship to the kingdom of God with these new responsibilities that he had to the kingdom of Babylon that he now worked for. So just how much, he had to ask himself, just how much can I actually participate in society? And then he had to ask himself, how willing am I to put my foot down when Babylon comes knocking and asks me or tells me to do something that I know is unethical in the eyes of God? This is what Daniel had to wrestle with on a daily basis. Well, as it just so happens, Daniel one day is put to the ultimate test. His, you know, his allegiance to the truth is the very thing that is at stake. So Daniel, over his time, he learns that, you know what, human, human kings and human kingdoms, these things, they come and they go in this life. He says there's only one thing that's eternal, and that's God. And he says, you know what, one day I'm, I find myself working for King Nebuchadnezzar, who's in charge of the Babylonian Empire. The next day I'm going to be working for some different king from some different empire, so on and so forth. That's life. And so that's what happens. He finds himself one day working under somebody new. This guy Darius the Mede comes in. And, and he chooses Daniel, of course, to be part of his special advisors because Daniel's really good at what he does. He's a very capable person. 
But this time things are different because this king makes a law that anybody who is caught worshiping another god besides King Darius will immediately be thrown into a lion's den so that they can be brutally tortured you know, by being mauled and eaten alive by wild animals. That sounds pretty terrible. So Daniel has a choice to make. Do I continue to acknowledge the truth and worship Yahweh just as I've always done? Or do I succumb to the prevailing winds of culture? This is the choice that's put in front of him. Now, Daniel's very life was at stake here. And um, you may see the situation here as sort of an all or nothing kind of deal, like where he's either got to stick with God or he's got to give up on God. But the thing is, clever people can always find those gray areas to operate in if they're really smart. And so, you know, one of the things that Daniel could have said is he goes, you know, when I look at the decree from the, from the king, it says that anybody who's caught or observed worshiping, you know, will be punished. But he says, you know, what if I just keep everything in inside? What if I worship God, but I just don't ever let anybody else see it? What if I don't make it obvious with my actions or my words? That way I can keep my faith, can keep my relationship with God, but then I can also keep my position in society. I can keep my job. I can keep my life, this lifestyle that I've been afforded. I can keep all of it. I can have it all. The thing is, though, Daniel was smarter than that because he knew that if he went that route, well, then that would be the first compromise he made then in a long list of future compromises he would be forced to make until eventually he would have to forsake God altogether. So Daniel chooses instead, he says, you know what, I'm not going to make any changes. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to put my foot down. And he decides to throw open the windows of his house for everybody to see. All the public around him can see him in his house as he gets down on his knees and worship gods and prays three times a day just like he has always done. So for those of you who know the story, you know what happens next. Daniel is observed worshiping, he's arrested, and he's thrown into the lion's den. Only God sends an angel to protect Daniel so that Daniel isn't harmed. God rewards Daniel for his courage and for his faith. So what point am I trying to make here today by talking about a 20-year-old sci-fi movie and contrasting it with the Bible? What am I getting at? You know, does this have any relevance to our lives today? Well, I would say yes, it, it absolutely does. And I will tell you, I've, I very much enjoy talking with you guys today, and, and I very much enjoyed being here. But I, I'm going to say some things here, maybe just a minute, that I, I don't know you guys that well. Maybe some of you may be offended by what I'm about to say. And uh, if that's the case, that's okay, because if, if, if I make you very angry or offend you, you just don't have to invite me back. This can truly be a one-off sermon in the truest sense. I just never have to come back here. You never have to look at my face again. I'll just stay over there. But here's the deal. The point I'm trying to make today, and I challenge myself with this as much as anybody else, is that as Christians today, you look at Christians in this country, we are far too willing to trade truth for falsehood in this country, you know, just so people won't think bad of us or say mean things to us. And we got to ask, you know, when did the American church lose its courage? I mean, when did the American church choose to go back to living in the matrix, so to speak, rather than standing up for things that are obviously true? 
you know, what, why did we do that? Is it about maintaining our level of comfort? Is it about acceptance? You know, are we afraid of losing our lives or maybe just losing our jobs? I mean, what is it that has neutered the church in this country to such a degree that we've been pushed to the sidelines? We're not even part of the public discourse anymore. We're not respected. We don't have a respected voice. How did that happen? Well, I want to remind everybody, as I remind myself of this, of what Jesus told us. In the Gospel of Luke, this is chapter 12. These are verses 51 through 53. I'll read them for you. This is what Jesus says about the nature of the gospel. Jesus says, do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? He says, no, I haven't come to bring peace. I've come to create division. He says, from now on, five and one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three. He says, they will be divided. Father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, so on and so forth. You see where this is going. Jesus is saying, you know what? Following God and following the truth by its very essence will put you at odds with people on this earth. Fundamentally, the gospel is offensive by its very nature. It, It will even put you at odds with people in your own household. That's what he's telling us. And if you are a Christian and your beliefs and the way that you live your life doesn't put you at odds with anybody else, well, then what I would say is that that means you have likely already capitulated. That probably means that you've already compromised yourself to a degree just to get along with people who flatly reject the truth that you believe in just so you can get along with them. Like, why would any of us do something like that? That's the question. Because all of us got to make decisions as Christians. In light of the cultural shifts that we see happening before our very eyes in our country, you know, do we want to be courageous and stick to biblical truth and stand up for what it is that we believe in? Or do we want to help the rest of this country begin to tear down the very fabric of truth and reality? I mean, what team do you want to be on? Are we brave enough to speak out against obvious untruths? allowing the scriptures to be our guide in this, or do we want to stick our head in the sand and go back and live in the matrix? That's the question. Because here's what life in the matrix looks like. In the matrix, you are told that there is no difference between men and women. They're exactly the same. Men can become pregnant. They can have children. No differences between men and women. In fact, any of us at any point in our life can choose what we want to be. That's what we're told in the matrix. In the Matrix, we're told that, you know what? This thing, abortion, is a great gift to society. It's an enlightened practice that empowers women and is merciful to children. That's what we're told in the Matrix. Are those stances that you find support for in the Bible as a Christian? Now, no doubt, it got very silent in this room. It was already silent. I see a lot of you squirming in your seats um, after I bring up those topics. Here's what I know. I don't know about this room, but a lot of rooms with Christians in the room. I bring up those topics, and I see a lot of people squirming. And what I know is that probably a lot of people in the room agree with every word I just said, but they would never say it in public. They would never say that to their friends or even to other people in their family. You know, as Christians, we we fail to speak out against what is obviously untrue. 
encounter to biblical teaching because we're afraid that it might offend someone. And, you know, as Christians, we don't ever want to offend people. We think as Christians, we always have to be nice people. But you know what I've noticed? In this country, at least, nobody ever worries about offending Christians. Nobody ever worries about offending Jesus Christ in this country. It's not even a passing thought in most people's minds. So, no, I, you know, I don't think offending people is actually the real hang-up for us as Christians. I think it's what comes after the offense. Is, that's what we're worried about. I think Christians are worried about the consequences of speaking truth. Well, the thing is, friends, if nobody ever spoke the truth, Moses would have never led the Hebrews out of Egypt. They'd still be there. You know, if Daniel didn't speak truth, he'd just be some guy that was really capable, that was able to game the system and make a really nice life for himself. We wouldn't even know who he was. If people never spoke truth, there'd be no Christian church. Because those early disciples who hung around with Jesus after he was crucified, there'd, there'd be no benefit in society to knowing who Jesus was. They'd drop Jesus like a bad habit. So no, it's courage and it's faith that changes the world. If you don't like what you see in this country right now, then start being brave enough to speak out against it. And if you do that, yeah, you may suffer for it. You probably will. You may not get invited back to the cocktail parties anymore. You know, you may lose your job. I mean, heck, you may be put in jail the way things are going in this country right now. But the thing is, you'll be able to sleep at night. And you won't be trading in a life of eternal presence with God, in the presence of God. You won't be trading that in for just a momentary feeling of comfort. So the Christian faith, I think, today, what we got to recognize, the Christian faith demands a lot more from us than I think we're willing to admit. We conveniently forget sometimes that Peter called us to be the priesthood of all believers for a reason, because all of us are called to go out there and to speak the truth on behalf of God. You know, we are not to be intimidated by the thugs who just want us to fall in line with what other lies we're being told so they can stay in power. That's not what we're here to do. We are meant to be the light to the world and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we're always supposed to do that always with integrity and always with love, but never with fear. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we ask for boldness. We ask for courage to stand up for what it is that we believe in, for truth. Father, we know that doing this is scary. Um, we can suffer for doing this, but whatever we suffer, it'd be no less than what Jesus has suffered. But as Christians, Father, what we know is that at the end of this, there is a promise you have made to us. We have an inheritance in heaven, a life in eternity spent with you. So, Father, let us stand up for those who need to be stood up for. As the church, let us have a bold voice in this culture and speak truth and advocate for what is right. Thank you 
for all that you do for us. We love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.